Um, welcome visitors, welcome. Uh, uh, our friends from the academy are starting to come back. Uh, welcome to back to Exeter for another school year. Um, I want to begin this morning by reading from you a prayer. Uh, it's a prayer slash poem. I've read plenty of these from the same book. It's called uh, Hearts on Fire Praying with Jesuits. Um, this is a poem prayer uh, titled Incarnation by Michael Moynihan. Um, and I want you to imagine the Trinity speaking these words. This is not necessarily a prayer coming from our being, but rather from the heavenly being uh, kind of down for us. Imagine this prayer coming to you, to your heart, and to the hearts of God's people. We tried in so many ways to communicate our love. If communication is not what you say, but what people hear, then what we said was warped and wrenched into distancing prescriptions that had no heart. You asked for food, we sent manna. You asked for drink, water flowed from the rock. You asked for directions, Moses brought the law. And on and on. Still you grew more distant, more deaf, more blind. Memories dulled, speech slurred, dreams dissolved into wander dust. And so we, the Trinity, did what families do when confronted with tragedy. We drew straws. Shorty lost. He came to share your plight, your fight, your night. And he came to point you towards tomorrow. For how long and for how often have God's children missed what was right in front of their eyes? The manna, the water flowing from rocks, all the prophets that came all the way until John the Baptist, and even the Messiah himself. The divine in human flesh, living, breathing, eating, and teaching right in the midst of his very people. For how long and how often do we miss what is right in front of our eyes? This beauty and wonder of God. This beauty and wonder of God that surrounds us at every moment. That's so close yet often invisible to our hurried glances. We are often so good at missing the point. And when we miss the point, we miss the divine amongst us. You see, we need eyes of intentionality. That's the title of today's sermon, Eyes of Intentionality. Eyes that seek the heart Eyes that seek the will and can see the kingdom of God. Eyes that can see Jesus. Eyes that can see Jesus' work, what he's done in the world. And eyes that can see the work that he continues to do each and every moment of our lives. We're going to explore this morning eyes of intentionality. Eyes that can see Jesus in the world around us. Let's open up with a word of prayer. Heavenly Father, Son, Jesus, and Holy, Holy, Holy Spirit. We come humbly before you this morning. 
at your feet, at the foot of the cross. Simply asking that we may see the things that you see. Hear the things that you hear. Feel in our hearts and in our beings the things that you feel. God, give each and every one of us a word this morning. Give each and every one of us a word, a word that we need to hear from you. And God, I ask as your humble servant, as some of these things are just way above my head, that you would give me the words to speak. We pray all these things in your name. Amen. Alrighty. Today we're going to be looking at one of Jesus' parables. Parables are, are stories, uh, stories that try to teach a lesson, something about something, sort of like a metaphor or an analogy. Today we're going to look at Jesus' parable of the tenants from Matthew 21. A tenant would just be simply someone who takes up residence in someone else's property, right? Someone who is like subletting something, leasing something, renting something. That's what a tenant would be. Someone who's residing on someone else's property. And so we're going to look today at a story that Jesus spins and he poetically, masterfully brings to our imagination. Next week, we're going to be starting a series called The Kingdom Project. As a matter of fact, we're kind of starting that series this morning. Because it's important when we look at Jesus' kingdom or we look at any project that's to be had in the world, it's important to start somewhere, to start with a foundation, to identify the cornerstone of the project or the kingdom that we're talking about. And to identify how this cornerstone impacts how we intentionally see everything that surrounds us. So let's open up to Matthew chapter 21. Uh, we're going to be uh, in verse 33 to about 46, 47, 48. Um, you can find a Bible in, uh, in front of you. You can look on the screens. We begin here in uh, Matthew chapter 21, verse 33. Jesus says, listen to another parable. Listen to another parable. You see, Jesus just rode in on the back of that donkey into Jerusalem a couple days before. He's been turning over temple tables. This is kind of the immediate context of where we're at. And the religious leaders are harassing him. They're questioning him. By whose authority are you doing these things? And so we just read, if you were to read a little bit earlier in Matthew chapter one, uh, 21, uh, he gave another parable that, that, that basically said, you know what? The prostitutes and the tax collectors are going to be involved in this kingdom project ahead of you with the attitude that you have. And so this is the context that Jesus is telling this parable. He says, once upon a time, there was a householder who planted a vineyard. He built a wall for it. He dug out a wine press and built a tower. Then he let it out to tenant farmers and went away on a journey. When harvest time arrived, he sent his slaves to the farmers to collect his produce. The farmers seized his slaves. They built one, killed another, and stoned another. Again, he sent other slaves more than before, and they treated them in the same way. Finally, he sent his son to them. They'll respect my son, he said, but the farmers saw the son. This fellow's the heir, they said among themselves. Come on, let's kill him, and then we can take over the property. So they seized the son. They threw him out of the vineyard 
and they killed him. Now then, Jesus said, when the vineyard owner returns, what will he do to these farmers? Well, they'll kill, he'll kill them. He'll kill them brutally, the wretches, they said. And he'll lease the vineyard to other farmers who will give him the produce at the right time. Do you never read what the Bible says, Jesus said to them? The stone the builders threw away is now atop the corner. It's from the Lord, all this they say, and we looked on in wonder. So then let me tell you this. God's kingdom is going to be taken away from you and given to a nation that will produce the goods. Anyone who falls on this stone will be smashed to pieces, and anyone it falls on will be crushed. If you read immediately after this, the next verse would go something like this. The Pharisees, the religious rulers, knew the parables. They knew Jesus was speaking about them. And so they plotted or schemed to have him killed. So we've got this beautiful story of Jesus. The story where Jesus talks about a guy who owned a a, a vineyard. He built all this amazing, beautiful stuff on his property, and he wanted the harvest to come. And so when the harvest comes, he sends his messengers. He sends what the Bible, in in this translation, will say slaves, doulos, uh, someone who's going to do the will of somebody else, basically. And so these slaves, these messengers are like the prophets in the Old Testament. They go to collect the produce, but the people who are in the land, they seize these messengers. They beat one. One translation would say flogged one, which is what ends up happening to Jesus later on in the week. They killed another and stoned another. They, They basically killed every one of these slaves, these messengers coming in. And so finally, so finally the the landowner says, well, you know what? I'm going to send my son, (laughs) i.e. Jesus. I'm going to send my son into this world. I'm going to send my son to this farm because maybe they'll respect my son. Maybe they'll get it. Maybe they'll see me if they see my son. But when the farmer saw the son, they actually went the other way and said, well, hey, (laughs) you know, this guy's the heir to all of this stuff. So if we kill him, then maybe we'll be able to steal the property and lay up residence there ourselves. So they seized him, and they threw him out of the vineyard. And they killed him. So Jesus then asks these these, these people who were listening to him, these rulers, these religious leaders, he said, so then what will he do to the farmers? What do you think the guy who owns a farm will do? And and, and in Jesus' day, this is exactly what they would have done. The farmer would have came back to his property. He would have had his other messengers and slaves kill them brutally, and then he'll lease the vineyard out to other farmers. And Jesus says, hey, Are you reading the Bible? And he quotes a couple different parts, one from the Psalms, one from Daniel. The stone the builders threw away is now the top in the corner. It's from the Lord, and in this day they'll say they looked on in wonder. And you see, it's this verse 43 that really haunts me here. Where Jesus says, so let me then tell you this. God's kingdom, this entire kingdom project that we're about to embark on this fall, this kingdom will be taken away from you, and it will be given to someone else who will then produce the goods that are needed. 
If we can't see Jesus, if we can't develop eyes of intentionality, if we don't build a framework for this kingdom project, a framework where Jesus Christ is the cornerstone of the project, then everything else we talk about, this entire thing, God says will be taken away and given to someone else who will. And then all of our other little kingdoms, these kingdoms that we hold so near and dear to our heart, will be crushed by the one true kingdom of Jesus. This is what was happening with many during Jesus' day. You'll hear this phrase over and over again, especially at the beginning of Matthew's gospel, where where you hear John the Baptist and, and even Jesus eventually, the kingdom of God is at hand. John the Baptist saying the kingdom of his God is at hand. God himself is standing right here in front of you. It's at hand. This kingdom is now being ushered in. It's right here. But they couldn't see it. John the Baptist says, repent, turn, change your mind about what you think about kingdoms because the kingdom of his God is right here. John the Baptist was saying, change your mind. Change your mind in how you see the divine in the world around you, how that ties into the kingdom. But see, it was just a little too much. It was too different, it was too radical, and it was too profound for a lot of people to grasp. Dallas Willard, um, uh, author and pastor, has a really interesting take on this in his, uh, in his beautiful book on the kingdom titled The Divine Conspiracy. Uh, Dallas Willard tells this story about when he grew up in southern Missouri, the area where he lived did not have electricity until he was in high school. So they lived a, a lot differently than we do even today. And he said eventually, though, when he was a junior in high school, the Rural Electrification Administration extended power lines into the area where his family lived. And suddenly electrical power became available to houses and farms where he was living. And he says this, he says, when those lines came by our farm, a very different way of living presented itself. Our relationships to fundamental aspects of life, daylight and dark, hot and cold, clean and dirty, work and play, preparing food and preserving it, could be vastly changed for the better. But, he said, we still had to believe in the electricity and its arrangements. We had to understand them and we had to take the practical steps involved in relying on that power. Now bear with me when you hear this analogy, this kind of parable here, you know, from the early 1900s. In a sense, what he's saying is that the kingdom of electricity was at hand, right? The kingdom of electricity was at hand. Everything had changed. The world around him was taking a giant step forward, but the people in his area had to see. They had to tap into this power somehow. And so he goes on to say, you may think the comparison rather crude, And in some respects, it is. But I think it will help us to understand Jesus' basic message about the kingdom of God if we pause to reflect on the farmers who, in effect, heard the message, repent, for electricity is now at hand. Repent and turn from your kerosene lamps. 
Return from your, uh, repent from your lanterns. Return, repent from your iceboxes and your cellars, your scrubbers and rug beaters. Repent from your human-powered sewing machines. Think differently about this stuff. You see, the power that could make their lives better was right near them. Whereby making simple arrangements, by tapping into this power source, they could utilize it. And Dallas goes on to say that some people, some farmers and families took advantage of it. And guess what? Other families didn't. John the Baptist says, repent, repent, change your mind about the old ways of doing things. The kingdom of heaven is at hand. Jesus, as the rightful king in his kingdom, ushering in, being anointed by the father to be among the tenants. Jesus is the stone that the builders rejected. Jesus is the stone. Jesus is the Messiah. Jesus is the one to bring into being the kingdom of God. Jesus is the anointed one ushering in the kingdom project that we're going to talk about this fall. This kingdom of which the world will shiver and shake and cause to fall to the ground. But the tenants were barring Jesus' way. Determined to keep the vineyard for themselves. Determined to keep Israel for themselves. Determined to keep their own kingdoms to themselves. They threw Jesus out. They warned the people about his teaching. They clashed against his upside down ways of looking at the world and strung him up on a tree. The tenants lynched Jesus to send a message to his followers, a message that the values, the morals, the ethics of your kingdom are not going to advance. Now, it's a pretty good plan, right? I mean, in the eyes of, of the world, as far as worldly conquest and domination go, think about this. It's a good plan. Eliminate the threat. Seek and destroy that which bumps up against the empire's comfortable ways of living. And the threat's gone. But Israel was and always has been blessed to be a blessing. Israel, as the, 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 the name just for God's people, has always been charged with bearing the fruit of justice in her own life. Of showing the world around them God's grace. And as pastor and, NT, uh, and uh, author N.T. Wright puts it, he says, but Israel insisted on keeping this grace for itself, practicing injustice in its own life and seeking to repel and resist the world around by whatever violent means necessary. In the parable of the tenants, and in this world, Israel has rejected the way of peace and eventually will reject its final messenger with a public display of cruelty and murder upon a tree. Again, a good plan as far as worldly conquest and domination go. Violence is the way of the world, but even death and violence couldn't stop Jesus. Even death and violence couldn't stop Jesus and couldn't stop Jesus' kingdom project from spreading. 
Eventually, even death and violence couldn't stop the disciples and the apostles. It couldn't stop the early church from living and teaching about Jesus' kingdom project. In fact, even in the face of death and violence, these men and women believe so strongly in this third way of Jesus This third way of love over fear and peace over war, radical hospitality, of bringing heaven's kingdom and will to earth. That together with Jesus' spirit, his advocate that he sent, they started a revolution like no one in this world has ever seen. Because through the veneer of what they'd been taught, through the cloud of what they've been led to believe by the other religious rulers and the world around them, they were able to see Jesus. They were able to see the divine. They were able to see how Jesus impacted every single aspect of their life. And they were able to see with eyes of intentionality. If you want to see eyes of intentionality in action, just read the entire book of Acts. Read the entire book of Acts. As a matter of fact, read the entire book of Acts this week if you can find the time to do so. You'll see what it looks like to have eyes of intentionality that go from the head to the heart and to the hands and to the feet. Through eyes of intentionality, they were able to have their very life and their breath and their being dramatically changed. They were able to dwell within the one true king in the one true kingdom. So this is what I want us to do this entire series over the next three months. I want us to repent. I want us to change our mind around the ways we might have looked at Jesus in the past. Because the kingdom project is at hand. It's right here as close as the air that we breathe. As we go through this kingdom project, I just simply ask that we would have eyes of intentionality. Eyes that can see the way Jesus sees the world. I ask that maybe we can shed some of the ideas that we may have about who Jesus is. Jesus is a big, big figure in our culture. Believers, non-believers, anyone you want to talk to is going to know at some level at least about the name of Jesus. And in that being true, it also is true that then there's so many different ideas about who Jesus is and how we are to relate to him in this world. And so what I'm asking you to do this series is to simply unvarnish Jesus. Take the shiny Jesus off the bumper sticker. Take the, the, the shiny Jesus off the bobblehead doll that hangs in, in, in someone's car or, 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 or the fancy cross necklace you might wear. Take the veneer of Jesus and strip him down. Strip him down into what we're going to explore in the Gospels. Through Matthew, Mark, Luke, and John as we go into this kingdom project. Let's look at the unvarnished Jesus. Let's look at the Jesus who says these parables, who preaches things like the Beatitudes on the Sermon on the Mount. And instead, can we see the Jesus that was crucified for these upside-down beliefs? Crucified for the sins of the world and rose to bring new life for us in the here and the now. 
in a far better kingdom than we could ever possibly imagine. This is the dream. This is the hope. This is the cornerstone of life and death and heaven and earth and all things in between. Jesus Christ, as the cornerstone who was once rejected, putting back up into the top in his rightful place. Let's pray. Holy Spirit, Son Jesus, Father God, we again come before you humbly in this kingdom project. Knowing that on our own there is nothing we can do. But together with your spirit, there's nothing that we cannot do. God, I ask us for new eyes. That we could strip off the veneer, the shininess of the American Jesus and actually dig into the Gospels and figure out who you were, who you still are, what you came to do, what you still do, and what that means for us and for our lives. 